Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project. In this episode, we are talking about consumer rights and trust with Matthew Sherratt from Design Studio IF. Welcome, Matthew. Hi, thanks for having me. So we first came across IF uh, as we were both, we were neighbors at uh, Makerversity, the makerspace and co-working space in yeah. uh, Somerset House. Mm-hmm. And you guys started about 18 months. Yeah. So uh, Sarah Gold um, is a designer and IF's founder. And uh, she uh, founded the company uh, a little before uh, uh, December um, 2015. And uh, the uh, the team's now about 10 people, a mixture of designers and developers and uh, uh, creative technologists who uh, help to build services that people trust. Um, so trust is yeah. a big word. Uh, so if concentrates on digital uh, services and uh, so digital rights of people. So it's a it's a mix, right? Um, we work uh, primarily, I, I guess, with companies who are building digital services, but also uh, co- products that combine physical products in the home with digital elements, um, which is obviously becoming a, a bigger and bigger market. More and more of the things that we live with and use every day connect to the internet in some way. Uh, and can share information and data and change and evolve and develop. And our relationship with those products changes a lot over time. And so that's where this question of trust comes in. Like trust is a, a fundamental part of all of the relationships that we have in our life, whether that's with the people around us or the things that we bring into our homes. At Restart, uh, since we began from, you know, from community repair events, we've always had uh, the idea that what we need to change is our relationship with mm. electronics. And so by taking stuff apart and learning why perhaps a certain part cannot be replaced because of the design of the product or because it's no longer available, we actually grow in understanding as citizens and potentially as consumers of what are the trade-offs between mm-hmm. our hundreds of gadgets surrounding us in our daily lives, between home and work, etc.? Mm-hmm. What What's the series of concerns that you are more directly tackling with mm-hmm. your practice? So um, within IF, uh, like I say, primarily we're a design studio. Um, lots of that work happens as a commercial practice, and it's poking at three big ideas. Uh, One is about building services that empower people. So we work with clients to make sure that the services that they make actually have a a more positive and engaging relationship with the users of them. Uh, The second part is about new consent models. So that's exploring ideas around how we actually agree to parts of a service or using a service or a product in its entirety and trying to make sure that that relationship isn't just about extracting value from 
uh, consumers. And the third part is around digital rights and making those a much more mainstream issue. Um, at the moment, I think we're at a really interesting point where lots of the issues that have been somewhat uh, niche concerns around technologists and designers and people working on the web are becoming much bigger uh, topics, um, stuff around uh, algorithms and machine bias, as well as access to basic internet services, uh, digital personhood, all of the stuff coming in the um, general data protection regulation. Like All of this stuff is right on the cusp of tipping over to mainstream consumer conversations about how the world around us works. Until recently, we felt that people working on privacy issues and uh, you know the right uh, in some sense to anonymity on the web and people working on the devices that power the internet and so people like us trying to extend the lifespan of a product or fighting against potential early obsolescence software or mm. hardware um, were working in completely separate realms where there wasn't a real communication but over the last year or two we're seeing an interplay of these issues where it's not just about privacy anymore mm. but it's about connecting what happens with a software update with potentially your data being exposed but at the same time your device became becoming incapable of doing what you used to do just 10 minutes before mm. i think the uh the the big thing for us has been acknowledging in public that lots of that is a design issue so uh some of those conversations happened before in, in quite niche or technology focused circles but actually they are issues that uh that fundamentally address how people use stuff all the time and that's what designers are here to do and understand. And that's the, like help people use things. Um, so when we start as designers to explore issues around trust, um, it's important for us to say, OK, well, how are people using things right now? What do they need things to do or tell them? Um, and how can we make that better for them? I noticed that uh, you have one project where you collaborated directly with a consumer association, mm. I believe it's a choice in Australia, mm -hmm. around issues of broadband mm. rights or better understanding people's uh, relationship with their own router box mm -hmm. inside their homes, which is, as we've always said, the first and at times the only physical object that allows you to touch the internet in a <laughs> world that's now all about Wi-Fi and, uh, um, you know, immaterial waves. Sure. Yeah, it's a real physical bridge to the network. Um, yeah, so uh, the Broadband Monitor was a project that we did with Choice to understand how uh, what kind of things we could make that would help people better understand the network in their homes. Um, and it came out of a project we did last year to explore the future of consumer advocacy. We we built a number of prototypes in-house that said, here's the kind of thing that consumer advocacy organizations could make to, to better show the relationship that people have with technology. Um, Choice was super interested in that and they got in touch and uh, asked us to explore what a what what a screen would look like on a router what would that screen tell people about the devices on their home network um and uh yeah it was just a, a really interesting project for getting to grips with how people see their home networks um what people think of them what what concerns people have and what people want to find out more about but because i guess normally most people will probably be 
very eager to be able to stream or yeah. download their favorite content. And that's about all that yeah, concerns totally. them. People only really care about their internet when it stops working. Um, so part of one of the big findings from the Broadband Monitor project was that if you want to engage people uh, with uh, around conversations about um, device security or, or network passwords, using performance and how well the internet is doing uh, versus how you would expect it to do is a, a really important gateway. So um, some of the uh, screens we mocked up on the prototype involved things like you know, a big red screen that said, hey, your broadband's at 12% of what we expect it to do. That's because there's half a dozen devices on the network. Do you recognize all of them? Would you like to boot some off of the network? Um, and then asking questions like, well, unknown devices are using your internet. Do you want to change your password? Um, right through to uh, the broadband in your local area is not performing well for a number of people. Do you want to join with them and raise a complaint? Um, lots of different uh, lots of different issues around our rights and our uh, ability to affect change with our networks, whether they're at home or in our local area, all done through this lens of, yep, the internet's good right now, or no, you've got really poor internet performance. And and this project that was a speculative project originally mm. now turned into something that people can experience yeah. directly. So the um, the uh, the broadband monitor, one of the prototypes that we made for that, um, we we built a, a version that worked on Raspberry Pi um, that we uh, made sure that folks could just sort of get running uh, when plugged into their home routers, and um, choice were. Um, really had the foresight to go uh, putting more stuff like this in the open is really good um, we'd been doing write-ups along the way but at the end of the project they released uh, that code as the wi-fi boss um, so you can with a raspberry pi and uh, some of the software on the site um, just get something running that plugs into your uh, home router to say uh, hey here's what's going on in your network right now excellent but most of your work as a design studio actually doesn't turn into a physical product that people can experience directly right some uh, well so some of it does definitely um things like the um broadband monitor is a good example of that but i think some of it is um uh, not more speculative but it is about saying here are the possibilities with the technology that we have today here are the things that you could or should perhaps be making um, and whether that's sometimes with clients, it's about saying, here's the kind of stuff that we think would be hugely beneficial for you. Here are the here are some explorations that show you what different services or products could look like right now. Um, and some of it is work that we do as research, um, which uh, I think there we have a bit more traction in the kind of uh, policy world to say, here's the impact that technology has on people's lives here's different ways of explaining that and here are different approaches to implementing policies that um, address some of the the weaknesses of how uh, technology operates one one of your uh, projects that uh, fascinated me quite a bit as i was browsing on on your website mm -hmm. is the transparency mark mm. 
can you tell us a bit more about that, which I believe is not the kind of thing we'll see very soon on a retailer's <laughs> shelf? Well, it's funny. The uh, well, Transparency Mark was one of three prototypes we made last summer to explore the future of consumer advocacy. Um, it's one of the things that Choice looked at to say, hey, come and work with us. Um, and uh, those three prototypes were one, the Transparency Mark, which would be kind of like a like a QR code that you'd have on a box that if you scanned it, you'd see more information about the software and hardware stack of a product, as well as how it's been performing for people. The second one was something called the live advice tag, which was this idea that um, on a on a, super, on a shop shelf, you'd have something that said, is this product safe to use or not, or have any problems been reported with it? Uh, and the third of these prototypes was called the log and that was uh, about having a kind of um, a local network view on what are the devices in my home right now and are they all, uh, quote-unquote, safe to use. Um, and that's the one that most directly inspired the work with choice. Um, but, okay, so the the transparency mark, mm. uh, the way I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, is um, a simple device uh, which, if you interrogate it by... Uh, entering a QR code or potentially the serial number of a product that you are looking at would tell you more about whether there's some known problem with that, whether there's some faults uh, that you should be aware of before purchasing it. Yeah, right? so um, so it's building on a lot of ideas that have been uh, kicking around the digital space for a while, like stuff like, um, I think, Spimes, the, that, was it Bruce Sterling idea of having the sort of full life history of all the things that came together in a product and understanding what its life through the supply chain was. Um, the transparency mark was our, our sort of, what would this look like in a consumer-friendly context? That was that was the idea. Um, but really all it, like the other two um, prototypes, were, were provocations to say technology enables uh, us to create um, all kinds of registers of products or um, databases of faults that could be in the open and available for companies to use all over the world and for governments to use all over the world to say, here are some faults, here be be warned when you're using this stuff or these devices are completely okay to use right now um, or any number of things in between. Um, but those don't really exist right now. So making these um, provocations was a, a way of saying, as a company, if cares about this technology and it cares about technology being used in this way to have so that people have a more empowering relationship with the things that they own and so that people can trust the things that they own. And you, know, you mentioned the lack of certain databases about products and their failures. And to an extent, that's the work that we are trying to aggregate working with other organizations across the world that host similarly to restart uh, repair pop-up events mm -hmm. and uh, there is a lot of information about the kind of faults that we can or we cannot um, act on during mm. community events and similarly commercial repairs because they see a lot more devices right. day in day out they can start uh, noticing trends on certain problems uh, coming up more frequently but until now there hasn't been any publicly available resource uh, that can inspire a different approach to consumer advocacy mm. but i guess the question is when people buy these products often that information isn't available 
yet anyway. So in, how do you envision like the next generation of consumer advocacy in that respect? Mm. So we're, uh, it's it's interesting you ask that. We're, uh, we've been doing some work with Consumers International to start uh, exploring that idea at kind of an international level, like what what is the future of consumer advocacy? What future should consumer advocacy organizations be moving towards? Um, and I think for us, the really important thing is about uh, collaboration. Um, these uh, It would be a tough, if not impossible, job for a, a single consumer advocacy organization in a single country to maintain an accurate and up-to-date list of all products available there and then and all um, all of this kind of uh, technical faults or, or, or technical qualities of those devices. This It would require a, a, a concerted global crowdsourced to a certain extent effort. Um, but there are organisations who can provide the framework for that to happen, who can start building out those uh, registers and those data sets so that this stuff can be built on uh, widely and probably openly and probably freely as well. One of the challenges uh, that we heard in a previous episode of the show, speaking to Testa Shah, a consumer rights organization in Belgium, is that they cannot keep up with the costs and the time involved with actually accurately testing uh, appliances. So that often by the time a report might be ready, it's no longer... Um, that relevant because people might not be finding that exact model mm. in the shop. So, do you force? Do you do you envision a more distributed approach where, uh, provided a framework exists, every kind of person can report uh, on faults and kind of ma- match uh, that information to provide a way to to give some of the rights back yeah to I, I mean so like you know bug bounties are the ways that you would do that for software there's there's uh things like that have existed for a long time that are um very open to kind of collaborative and um widespread efforts rather than it being the responsibility of a sole organization and given that so many of the devices that are coming into our homes have that kind of digital physical crossover it'll be impossible for any one organization to have all the expertise to test everything about a particular product in time um it it, having that uh, ability to have more distributed work is going to be critical to the future not just of consumer advocacy but of our rights as citizens uh, and people just mooching around in the world and is there any specific new project that you are working on uh, at the moment that kind of intersects some of these ideas? Mm. Yeah. So, um, in fact, just today we have uh, released tickets to our trust and design meetups. So we've started a meetup that um, what we want to do is get together with people who are interested in how trust actually works in services and products um whether that be service designers or policy professionals or technical architects or whoever people involved in making decisions about how how things operate on a on on the services that we use um and our intention is to get a bunch of people into a room um have some discussion around some of the issues around that stuff and then um start exploring different um different tools that we could make in the future that would help um, help empower teams to build services that people trust 
um obviously our, our job as a design studio is to do a bit of that for companies um but it would uh it would take forever for us to work with every company um we really want to make it easier for everyone to do a, a better job of making services that people trust and when is your upcoming meetup it's on july the 18th at uh makerversity um here in london 6 30 here in london yeah not makerversity amsterdam um we've uh, got tickets on a event bright um so if you search for trust and design there you can find out more you're listening to restart radio on resonance 104.4 fm and we're welcoming back matthew from project if oh sorry from if design studio if one of the areas that all of these topics kind of converge into um is the right to repair and mm. uh, it's an area that's coming up more and more frequently also in the news mm. uh, linked to how in the united states um, organizations are taking uh, companies to court and in some cases to the supreme court to mm. ensure that uh, we as citizens and consumers are not left behind and we can continue to add value to existing products more as opposed to being stuck into devices we can no longer use after a certain period of time. Uh, we've seen some interesting bits of news this week mm. and uh, one that really caught our attention was a historic sentence by the Supreme Court uh, in a case involving Lexmark uh, printers and uh, specifically how uh, their cartridges, uh, two versions of a specific type of cartridges exist, one with a chip cheaper, mm -hmm. which wouldn't otherwise allow people to refill it and reuse it again. And uh, um, Lexmark sued a company uh, which in the United States was circumventing the problem and refilling and reselling cartridges at a lower cost, obviously, than mm. the Lexmark one. And the Supreme Court has actually um, cleared the case and uh, it's setting really a milestone into providing more power for people to extend the life of products as opposed to being stuck. What's your take on this? Um, I, I, when I was reading the article earlier, one of the things that jumped out at me was the uh, the reference to the used car market that there is this the, there's a long prehistory of products kind of uh, having further life uh, having a longer shelf life than just simply it was bought and used once um and i think that's that's a really important thing both for our ability to engage with products and be empowered humans um uh, as well as you know all, all of the issues around the sustainability of the things that we use and and buy and consume um, so I think it's uh, it's tremendous news um, that, that the the case has gone in favour of the company refilling the cartridges rather than Lexmark um, and that by seven to one, yeah, which is right. a very rare uh, unbalanced yeah. <laughs> to, to have to have the Supreme Court that 
far in favour of the of the right to repair is um, is a very powerful statement. Um, but I think it's going to take a while for that to be something that we think of as a kind of international standard, um, that the right to repair would just be normal, um, particularly when we are talking about um, complicated devices that are increasingly difficult to actually gain access to. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a laptop right now that's making me think, yeah, I've got no idea where I'd start with that. <laughs> well, you should always start with a restart party. <laughs> we'll give more information about upcoming ones at the end of the show. Uh, specifically on this story, I didn't want to make it sound too easy because actually uh, what the lawsuit w- was about was about actually uh, Lexmark implying uh, as the terms and conditions that mm. that product could not be reused mm. at the end of its first life. And so it's about who owns... Uh, the product uh, after all when you stop using it the first time and is it possible that a manufacturer can still hold an IP Mm. on that product and the reference to the car market is very relevant and uh, I've just read uh, last week about uh, another approach to the right to repair uh, happening right now in South Africa and it's starting from the car industry again Mm. so Cars uh, set up uh, an important precedent and uh, our friend uh, Kyle Wins from iFixit always make a reference to, to that being a source of inspiration for people working on devices and gadgets. Another interesting story um, is very new. Um, yesterday, some of you might have heard about the new big announcements by Apple, including this very expensive home speaker which i understand is a more sophisticated version of uh, amazon alexas and of course because that became popular apple had to come up with something twice as expensive and i'm sure uh, more useful for some people let's see Um, but the interesting news was not like a new product but it's a bit of news that we've just heard um on motherboard, uh, which is that Apple is starting to provide access to at least some third-party repairs of this obscure machine that's uh, used to recalibrate um, iPhones that have had uh, their screen uh, replaced. Mm -hmm. And this links to how when you replace um, a screen uh, on an iPhone that has the touch button um, compromised. At the moment, it's not possible for anyone other than Apple to be able to uh, to do that repair, mm. uh, which means that they have ultimately a monopoly on this. And uh, it looks like they might be changing this, uh, which is interesting specifically because it might reduce chances of products being thrown away uh, as opposed to repaired. Mm. But again... The question is, they talk about authorized repair centers. And these are a very, very tiny minority compared to the repair ecosystem Mm. that worldwide ensures that products keep functioning, keep being reused. So is the future of consumer advocacy also about fighting for commercial repairers' rights to provide us with services? 
I think definitely, as as well as our ability to repair things ourselves. Um, both of those are going to be extremely important factors in the future of those organizations um, all over the world, as well as looking into issues around the security of those devices over time and the ability for manufacturers to support objects uh, once they've sort of fallen out of that current wave of being refreshed. Um, I, I, with all of that comes a healthy amount of... Ha- what are the right mechanisms for um, publishing or sending or sharing information around how this stuff works? Um, how can it be in the open in the best and most appropriate way uh, for people to get that information who want it and build services that help people um, reap the benefits of that information, even if they don't have the deep technical understanding that would be required to sort of rip an iPhone cover off and get stuck into the guts of the thing? Yeah, that's definitely not for everyone. And that's why we try to always remind um, everyone who asks us about Restart that, sure, we want to see a much more distributed repair ecosystem where everyone can contribute and be involved as much as they feel comfortable with. Mm. And so it's not so much about just multiplying community repair initiatives in every neighborhood of our cities, but it's about making sure that there is a flourishing repair economy that can bridge the gaps between people's level of confidence and uh, um, desire to Mm. really take apart each product because it's not always that simple yeah it, I, I said earlier one of the things that's uh one of ifs focuses has been around this idea of making digital rights a, a mainstream issue and all of these rights around our ability to really um use and be empowered users of our technology are the conversations that are pushing that stuff out into the fore the most um and so it's been really exciting to be working on projects that that poke at some of that Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, uh, Matthew. We have uh, quite a number of restart parties, our community pop-up repair events happening across the world in the next few days. Saturday the 10th, there will be events in Barcelona, in Florence and in Milan, and I believe in Turin as well. And next Monday here in London at the Kentish Town Community Centre from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m., and the following Saturday in Leytonstone as well, between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. Thanks for listening. Uh, You can find more information at therestartproject.org or on social media at Restart Project. Till next week.